Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. known fact about my guest today, he has been the casting director for so many of the plays and films and television shows that have shaped our lives. And today we get to go behind the scenes on how he does it. Welcome the extraordinary James Caleri to the podcast. A-okay. Hey everyone, my guest today is casting director, author, and acting professor, James Caleri. He is the co-owner of the casting company Caleri Jensen Davis. Some of his Broadway casting credits include Thoughts of a Colored Man, Burn This, Fool for Love, The Visit, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Venus and Fur, A Raisin in the Sun, The Elephant Man, and Of Mice and Men. Some of his TV casting credits include Dickinson, Love Life, The Path, Army Wives, Lipstick Jungle, and more. He was the resident casting director for Playwrights Horizons for 10 seasons. He's had over 10 years with the Classic Stage Company, along with casting for the Rattlestick Theater, Long Wolf Theater, the Flea Williamstown Theater Festival, Naked Angels, and others. I am so overjoyed to welcome James Caleri to the podcast today. Hello, James. Hi. It's so good to see you, even though we're remote it's it's lovely to see you yeah i know but i'll take it i will take it um i think so much about how casting 
Um, you know, we're speaking in November of 2021, but as you know, this episode will live in the world forever. Mm. Um, but we are speaking sort of at a very specific moment in time, which is post pandemic crisis in some ways, and yet still a pandemic very much um, infiltrating a lot of ways that we work still. And one of the major changes, certainly for me as an actor, and I can only imagine for you both as a professor at Columbia, I think you run the MFA program there. Is that right? I do. I do. Just a little side hustle, my God, (laughs) Um, in all your spare time. you know, that that Zoom or some form of technology has taken over the casting process. Um, And so let's just start there before we go back to James as a small child and James today um, in terms of where, you know, the life of an artist and in the arts became sort of front and center for you. But tell me what you think about what casting looks like in the future based on how we've pivoted in the present? I, listen, I think it's a, I think it's a great question. I think it remains to be seen, but I do think the, that we have been inevitably changed somehow. I mean, I don't, I don't see a world where we go completely back, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's a, a grief, I think to that and a sadness. Um, but there's also been some real pluses to that. I mean, personally, as you know, I'm talking to you from my house upstate and not in the city. And so it's allowed freedom for myself. And I think for many actors, not having to be in one place in one city, it's allowed a lot more freedom, right? Just in case they're working in another city or if they just want to be uh having a life outside of those two hubs of LA and New York. So in that, in that way, that's, that's shifted. And I would say it's also allowing many of the casting offices to see a lot more people, Mm -hmm. right? Because if I have, if I know I have three hours with a creative team in a room, suddenly that's expanded out where I can ask and invite as many actors to self tape as possible. So in the world of film and television, which actually is the same medium, basically that the, the, the feel of it, right? What someone feels like on camera um, or through this lens that you and I are even talking through right now, it's, it's actually highly appropriate for the experience that one will have watching this performer ultimately in the film and television show. Um, yes. I do think that obviously so much of... Um, so much of an experience of getting cast in something when you don't already know the person who is directing it or they don't already know you outside of this one project is sort of the vibe. Like, how will it be to work with this person? What What is the chemistry or energy? I don't mean romantic. I mean professional. Um, so much of sort of what happens. I feel like I've gotten jobs because of something lucky that's happened in the moments before the read and maybe after the read as much as the read, because sometimes if something's really well-written, everyone's good. Like the better the writing, the better the possibility to be good in the room or on the zoom, however you're doing it. But so much that happens is like, it's that, it's that, it's just that, that ephemeral. That's right. It's, it's sort of like, you can't, put your finger on it. I, I have a really good example of, uh, I remember casting 
I don't know what I was doing with Michael Mayer, but we were casting one of the many things I've done with Michael Mayer. And I remember the actress had come in and she was, she was lovely, but it, it didn't seem like it was really landing. And, and as she was going to walk out of the room, he said, wait, 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 I see you do an amazing Bjork interpretation on your special skills. And she said, yeah. And he said, oh my God, I love Bjork. Do, do, do that, do that. And, suddenly the whole audition flipped on its head, right? The energy, the excitement, suddenly she was more comfortable because there was sort of a, an openness and a willingness to let her do her own thing. So it, that was something you would never get nowadays, right? In this land of the taped room or the Zoom audition. Yeah. So that's the, you know, those little genuine moments of connection um, let alone like me coming in for you sometimes before the the producers or director get to see it and you being able to help guide it and going like, that's great. Let me, let me give like feedback. Right. This is right? what they're going to be looking for. This is what I think. Has yeah. come in addition to just the, you know, my business partner, Paul Davis and I were talking about this the other day that we, you know, there was something about going out into the waiting room, seeing that, that community, which it's a very small community in New mm -hmm. York. I mean, it feels very large, but it's actually quite small. And, and to be able to see those people that we've had relationships for 20 years come in and, and say that hello. And it's just a like check-in. How, how's your child? How's your dog? You know, we, we see each other, we follow each other on social media, but besides that, it's just such a lovely way to connect. Yeah. And, and so much of our job is about that, right? Yeah. In yeah. fact, we often feel like you're hosting a reunion for us. Like maybe we don't get the job, but we've been able to spend the day with like the people we love and wouldn't necessarily yes, I, get to see, right? It's yeah. like- I always fact, sense that too. When you have to keep the noise that. down. Yeah. Well, yeah like, everyone's <laughs> like sharing pictures and hugging and there's babies out there I and know. yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. So to that end, um, I guess that's the question- I, I think, how do we preserve the community and and the opportunity to, to dig deeper into something with someone, even though there's more time and more people are available and can be seen and you have more time? Um, I guess that's, you know, it's rhetorical in a way, right? We don't know, as you said, the future yeah, is, I, I is do not find yet the happening. Zoom, the Zoom auditions and callbacks are sometimes allowing that a little bit more. I mean, I, I find the creative team loves it because they're everywhere. And mm -hmm. so trying to get everyone in one room is always challenging. And I do find that there's been communication with the actors and, and nice work that can get done. I also find oddly, sometimes the actor is a little um, more relaxed because they're in the waiting room on my virtual audition, but they're in their own living room. So there's also a calmness maybe about how they work. Um, that said, there also the drawback of that is going to be maybe possibly a lack of that nervous energy that can also be very useful. Sure. In yeah. Um, so let's go back. Um, we will solve all the world's problems regarding casting <laughs> right. the next time you come on. Um, but you know, first of all, I I don't want to bury the lead. 
not only is James someone who I've always felt so unbelievably grateful for when I would come into the room for anything he or his partners were casting, because there's been such a a generosity and a true feeling like actors are welcome is what the sign should read. And you would think that would be true on the door of every casting director's office, that actors are welcome, but it doesn't always feel that way. So A, thank you on behalf of the community for always feeling like there's an understanding that it's actually hard. Like this is all hard. Um, And And I think we're really aware of that. I mean, we, we really try to... Uh, be that the that group of people that um, we, because we know it's going to make the actor work better. It's just going to be an all around better situation for everybody. And I know Erica and Paul, your partners, uh, were actors in their earlier life. I don't know about as was you. I. Okay, I so was. that's part of it too, right? Like yeah, sure. some people can be snarky about it because they started out in it and then decided like. It wasn't for them, and there's sort of um, an attitudinal shift. But in yes. your room, <laughs> it feels that. like, oh, I still love this. So, so when I say bury the lead, James cast me and my husband Dominic Famusa in a play <laughs> together. We were not husband and wife at the time. We did not even know each other at the time, um, and it really was quite a thing to have a colleague become a showman,ce become a husband, become the father of my children. Um, and it's rare that you can point to a very specific person on the planet who's responsible for that. I'll allow Jason Moore, who also likes to take credit for it because he was the director <laughs> at the time. Funny, yeah. but, but so fair enough, Jason. Um, but, but you know, to get to say thank you um, in, in front of the, the many, many people who listen to this podcast. Thank you, James. It's an amazing thing. And I think I remember... A couple of years ago, I found my notes for that show and and sent them to you because I had the audition sheet, you know, where I had put my comments and I had definitely marked there was some sort of spark. There was something and there was some sort of energy. There's something that just had 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 sort of clicked for us. So I, and I clicked just... for us. <laughs> As it turned out. That's um, right. That's and so, yeah, thing. like, it's so lame that, like, all I can do is say thank you on a podcast. There must be some greater, like, I'll buy a star. Like, you know, people can put constellations in the name yeah. of their beloveds. Um, I want to go back. In, so thank you. In terms mm-hmm. of, um, you're probably responsible for many of those, which must feel so cool. But um you said you were an actor. Can you tell me where you grew up and sort of how the arts came into your life? Sure. I mean, I, I grew up in Houston, Texas. And uh, and I, I think I started at a very young age. I mean, I was always interested in drama. I was, you know, speech and debate. I mean, you name it. I went through all the things. And then I was president of the thespian club and president of the choir and it was just a world where I lived in being, and that was not always easy being a, a, a queer boy in Texas, you know, growing up, but um, I always loved it. And I thought I was, I was actually pretty good in it at it as well. And my parents were very supportive. Um, my mom would drive me down in carpool to the alley theater where I would take lessons uh, and theater under the stars where I also took lessons. So my mom was like the carpool champ with that. 
situation. And, uh, and then I went to uh, Trinity University in San Antonio and got my, uh, my BA. And it was a small private liberal arts school. My father was very clear with me that, um, that he really wanted me to just uh, not focus too much in that world, but just really go out and get a great education. Wait, and I'm going to put your acting skills to, to work right yeah. now. Can you tell us that in your father's voice? What would it have oh, sounded my, like? My father, it was like a cross between James Gandolfini and The Sopranos and um, Archie Bunker from All in the Family. He was like a, 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 a very stern but loving Sicilian man. So what was he doing in in Texas? My father was a uh, was a developer, and so we went down there, and he developed the woodlands, some of these large um, communities. In, so not in, originally from Texas. No, no. So we were just down there at the time when Texas was just blowing up, and Houston particularly was blowing up. Okay. So that's so I went to Trinity, and then um, I decided to go ahead and get my MFA in acting. And I went to the University of California at Irvine. Um, there was a man there that had written a book named Robert Cohen, who had written a book called Acting Professionally, which was a big deal for me when I was growing up. I remember reading it and having sort of a profound effect on me hmm. because it was really realistic and really tough in what he spoke about as far as the profession goes. The other reason I went there is because Grotowski was still alive and teaching there. And I, I, uh, I got a full ride. I got a full scholarship and I went there and I mean, Grotowski was amazing. It was the kind of thing where you'd run around in your underwear in the middle of the night in this yurt that they had built for him. And, you know, you're by candlelight and eating nuts and seeds. And it was like what you do when you're 21. I mean, what else are you going to do? So was it, there um was there a method was there some sort of acting method beyond eating seeds and well underwear? yeah I mean, or like, <laughs> there what, was. what else would you need the, the the what would happen is he would get you to the point of exhaustion where you you couldn't really think straight anymore right so you would go into a different way of working in a way because he'd keep you up all night and you would somehow click into some of uh, sort of another. Uh, uh, another sphere of how you would look at the work. So it was fascinating stuff. I mean, I can't say I'd ever do it again, but I- It's not I, what you teach uh, at Columbia. No, this absolutely is not what I teach. <laughs> but um, so I went I went there and I got my MFA. And in the one of the summers of that program, I went and took a, a workshop with Michael Shirtliff, who, mm -hmm. as you know, wrote that book, Audition. Another huge. These are the book. Bibles for people That's coming right. up pre-internet. That's right. And I went to do that because I thought it would be a great acting class. And it was. But what I did not realize as I was sitting there is that he was speaking from this perspective of a casting director, which I had just I didn't even know what that was. I mean, suddenly my my head blew up in a way because I just. I had never thought about what that profession was or what it looked like. And the more he spoke about it, speaking through the craft of acting, I suddenly realized, oh, this, this is it for me. It was literally one of those moments where I just went back to graduate school and I, I said, I, th I think I'm going to be a casting director. 
And again, I had no idea of what that meant or what that looked like or how to do it. But it just in my gut felt like that was what I was meant to do. So there wasn't like um, a, a, a sort of tough come to Jesus moment where you were like, I have to give up this other thing? Or did you sort of see them working? It wasn't. I felt like uh, I felt like I... I knew I wanted to move to New York. I knew mm-hmm. I believed and I wanted to work in the theater. I also oddly had this thing that I knew. <laughs> I knew I wanted a lot of dogs in my life. I knew I wanted a house. I mean, there were things that I just thought this, how do I, how do I get myself to a place where I can have these things and live a really beautiful creative life? Um, because I knew I wasn't going to be the guy that was going on tour. That just did not interest me in any way. When you were growing up, I know you said that you would see, I mean, there's such incredible theater in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you ever, as a family or with your high school, in all of those groups that you were part of, come to New York to see Broadway? I did. You know, my father uh, took me when I was young to see to come to Broadway and uh, I remember my first show this is sort of this will tell you this will tell you very clearly who I am there were all these you know big musicals big things playing and he said you can pick anything you want to see what do you want to see and I said oh I want to see children of a lesser god I must have been 12. You know what oh I mean? Like, God. I don't know in what world. You had read I, about it somewhere. And, right. like, and, I, yeah. and I love a good drama. For me, yeah. like, if I have a choice, put me in a play. I yeah. want to sit in a play. And so he took me to Children of a Lesser God. And um, God bless him. You know, so, and, and I did take trips after that in high school. I came and I went with a, a good friend of mine. And my parents were very trusting of me. I, I showed up to New York on my own and I would see the plays and I also was the kind of thing that I knew every I knew every actor that was playing in the matinee versus the evening. I knew who was replacing. I would study the playbills like they were some sort of Bible for me. Yeah. And and so there was, I think, uh, something in my head that was telling me I knew how to retain that information. I understood sort of where actors were like moving from one show to another. I remember being very obsessed with Cynthia Nixon doing two shows at one time, you know, when she was moving from Hurley Burley to um, the real thing, the real thing. And so I was always fascinated with the actor's journey and how they were booking jobs and what shows they were in. I feel like other than the maitre d' at Sardis, I mean, who would also memorize like every single picture. So you'd come in and he'd be like, right this way a lot. And you're like, you don't know me. Like That's um, right. For some reason, I knew like Florence Lacey was playing the matinees for Patti LuPone and Evita in 1980. You know, it was just like something I knew. Yes. And, and, you know, I I reference this so much in the podcast, that Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell thing of like, 10,000 hours and then the luck of of preparation and then the luck of the thing happening where yeah. all that preparation is meaningful for, yeah. you know, for Steve Jobs, it was a computer in a garage. And for That's you, right. it's, you know, playbills and this passion for it and this brain that can consume because so much of what you have to do is be able to think of catalog. I mean, I remember... Was it the player's guide that people used to look through literally like all of those pictures? Oh my God, yes, with the pictures, yes. Right? Like you were a human player's guide walking around with all that information in your head. Um, 
And that's just sort of, it blows my mind because a lot of kids grow up feeling that way and watching the Tonys and consuming yes. those those shows <laughs> and moments. anything they can get their hands on. And, and yet the idea that you could carry that with you and that enthusiasm, I mean, how do you, how do you, what has kept you sort of as excited about um, the knowledge of the thing and the love of the thing? And now you, now it's work, right? Like now yeah, it's not yeah. just your passion and fun. It's actually what you have to do every single day. Yes. But you know, and it is work. It's sometimes really tough, but I, I feel like I'm talking my, about my father a lot, but you know, my father worked because he had a, a family to raise and bills to pay. And he was always very clear. I mean, he, he was good at what he did, but he didn't love it. Mm. And he always reminded me that I was so lucky to do something I just love to do. And I, I, I know that. And I remind myself that every day I wake up mm. because I think there are so many people that do not find that. And I, right. I just feel so grateful when I'm teaching, when I'm casting a play, I just feel very grateful to do what I absolutely love to do. When was your sort of first, I mean, you've probably had many and now you've done this a long time. So you're beyond pinch me moments because, mm -hmm. you know, you've been able to cast the greatest actors of, of your generation and, mm. and generation, other generations to, to, um, in all the things that you do, but when was the first time that you were like, oh my God, I'm now working with this person that I admired so much as a, as a non-professional? Yeah, I think, I mean, I have a few, but I think, um, Alana and Dom. Yeah. So <laughs> D Daniel Swee was one of the first people that had given me my break. I started off as an assistant at the Gersh agency. I, I started off in a talent agency and, and who were you one, an assistant for? Oh my God. Uh, Robert Duva. It was his name. Got and, it. you know, and, uh, he leaves a was, legacy. He was, he definitely has a legacy <laughs> and it was a learning experience. And, uh, the best thing about that is I was talking to casting directors every day on the phone. Mm -hmm. So I was on the phone with Alexa Fogel and Daniel Swee. And so when I quit, I, I called them and I said, let me come let me come file pictures. This is when we actually could file pictures. Right. We had things to file. And both of them gave me my first breaks. So I was suddenly in the room on NYPD Blue with Alexa Fogel and working on like this amazing script. And, and these unbelievable New York actors were walking in the room. And I was just in a state of shock about that. And Steven Bochco, who was just like yes, such an incredible was, man right. and he with was us. In yeah. And so I was insisting on that. And then Sweet called me and I went over to Lincoln Center and worked on a couple things. And he got the film of The Crucible with Daniel Day-Lewis. And I remember being in a room with these executives and Daniel Day reading women for his wife. And I was running the camera. And I do remember that moment while I was filming. I mean, I, I can't remember. It was like Francis McDormand and, you know, Cherry Jones. And just these, these 
unbelievable women, including Joan Allen, who got the part. And I remember sitting there filming the the callbacks. I, just, I was could not breathe, probably even breathe. Right. Like, I mean, honestly, you could have quit right then. Like, what yeah. else do you need? To, like, okay, <laughs> next. Now I'm going to go live on an island and just have dogs. But why do you think Joan Allen got that part versus, I mean, it could have been any of those extraordinary women. Absolutely. And they would have all told a very beautiful and different story, right? So uh, I, you know, he was reading with the ladies. And so again, and this goes back to chemistry reads and what what happens between people, as you yeah. know, with you and Dominic, right? Yeah. So whatever happens between people that chemistry, that that thing that we just can't articulate, but you absolutely know it when you are present in the room with it. Hmm. Um, that's to me what it is. And that's it. Yeah. It's not yeah. like that's all it is. It's yeah. it's this thing that you can't put into words. Yeah. And Sui was the one that got me uh, into Playwrights Horizons and I was there for 10 seasons. And that was, again, another moment where I was suddenly casting a play for Christopher Durang and um, Craig Lucas. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, these were people that I had studied. These were people I dreamed about reading their work as a kid. And then being in the room with these really creative geniuses and helping, you know, to serve what that story is or whatever world they had created that was really the dream for me. I think a lot about sort of actors who feel like they they are walking into rooms where it feels like there is um, sometimes people not understanding or respecting what's going on, what it is to do what we do. Mm-hmm. They're let's say they're distracted. Um, have you had, ex- but we always assume like that doesn't happen to anybody else. Do you feel like as a casting director in earlier days, I can't imagine it would happen now, but maybe it would, where you felt like there were producers and directors who weren't as respectful to you and what you bring to the process? And did you have to negotiate that? Yes. Listen, I think casting is negotiating in a lot of ways because you're, you know, our job is to get. Uh, a lot of very different people with different tastes to one collective place of choosing one actor. And sometimes I walk out of the room and I can't even, I can't even believe how it happened. Right. Because it just feels so complicated because it's personal taste. Ultimately, Um, you know, I always equate my, job to there's a great uh, ice cream store down on East 10th Street. I think it's called Cups and Cones or Sundays and Cones. And and what I love about the store is there's these unbelievable different flavors. There's there's sweet corn, wasabi, balsamic with strawberry. I mean, they're unusual flavors. And I I always think of the casting director's job is to make sure my my producers have really unbelievable flavors to choose from, Mm -hmm. you know, and that not everyone might not like strawberry and balsamic, but I know it's a, it's a beautiful, unique and special flavor. And eventually at some point they all end up on one, on one thing. Right. Now, a lot of the things I'm going to ask you today uh, are questions that come from listeners of the podcast and, and 
not just fans of the arts, but people who want to do this professionally. Mm-hmm. And and there are a couple of things that come up in the world of an actor that I thought it might be great to hear your take on it. So one of them is many times, and this is, it used to be more true for film and television, but it's probably true in theater as well. You're told there's an offer out on the role, or you can kind of guess there's an offer out because yeah. it's number one on the call sheet, yet you're reading for it and you yeah. haven't yet been number one on a call sheet. Maybe you've been eight, but still. Yeah. Um, and there's this feeling and, and you're asked to prepare a lot of material and you want to mm. do it well. And yet you wonder when you're doing all this work, is it going to be seen or relevant if there's an offer out? So yeah. what do you, and I'm sure as a casting director, it doesn't feel great to know people are putting in all this work for a part that is going down. You're making offers on list A and putting together auditioners on list B. Right, which is a necessary evil. So can so. you talk us through that? No, what I will say, and I, I try to remind my students this all the time, that, you know, you have to, the actor has to keep in mind that what you're auditioning for might not be for what you're auditioning for. Meaning I have 20 projects in the works, probably a dozen that are sort of happening at any given time. Right. And so oftentimes, even if you think, oh my God, I'm, there's just no way I'm going to get this part. We are figuring out all the other things that you could be useful and right for. And in addition, the creative team, the producing team is watching that audition and it might, you're absolutely right. It might go to whoever had that offer at that time, but I cannot tell you the amount of times that they, they come back and they say, oh my God, I, I, I really liked Alana's tape when she came in for that part. Let's get her for this. Mm-hmm. And so there's always the other thing that that is potentially right there as a possibility. And I think it's a really, really important thing to remember just to go in and do the work. That it's really easy to get fixated on all the other stuff around it, but just do the best you can and then walk out, let go, let God, because that's the stuff you can't control, mm-hmm. right? What you can control is that moment you get the sides and to, until the moment you walk out the door. Of right. The or the, or the zoom room, whichever that, zoom it is. Room. Okay. Right. I'm just, when you sort of look at the casting of a play versus the casting of a film or television show. Does your mind work in different ways or is the experience in terms of what you look for and how you approach it pretty similar? No, it's very different. I mean, theater by its nature is an odd beast. It's a, it, it, it moves in a slower plotting pace, right? And so there are readings, there are workshops, there's developmental stages. I have a play on Broadway right now that I worked on for five, four or five years. It had readings, workshops, a different director. It went out of town regionally, then made its way back to Broadway. So it is a different gestation process and it's a different casting process that you're seeing a lot of people through a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. TV by its nature, because there's so much money and because of the pacing of it, it is just a different, uh, it's a different process. It's a quicker process. 
it's um, also, you know, I, I always joke that it's easier to cast somebody in television and film than it is in theater. And it doesn't make any sense because you're never going to make any money doing theater. Right. Right. But that's why I've cast the guy on the subway or my waitress at EJ's, you know, because if I see somebody really interesting that has a really great point of view, I can probably stick them in front of the camera and get them to walk and talk. Right. And so that in, by its nature, you know, theater, you have to have training and who you've worked with and where you went to school. There's all these different sort of uh, hurdles to jump over before yeah. we cast somebody in a play. Yeah. It, you guys made an announcement. You had been working with Paul and Erica. How many years were the three of you Erica was my intern and she was my intern at Playwrights Horizons for 20 years. And yeah. Paul was my student. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I taught him an uh, intro to acting class when we were in school. And so, he did so well, he became a casting director. <laughs> so, so that was 30 years ago. Erica's been with me. So we've been together 20 something years. So that is a marriage of sorts, right? Like working and, and, and collaborating like that. We would absolutely not be casting if we were not together. I mean, yeah. part of the thing that we love is, is just the amount of fun and the, just the, the connection that we all have and doing it. That's what's really made a difference for the three of us. And I know, I know you sort of changed the the shingle outside the office yeah. after all this time. Um, can you talk about that and and sort of the excitement of that? Listen, I think it was something that we had talked about um, a few years back, and it just the the thought of of even how to do it was overwhelming. And then we the just rebranding. Sort of, that's right. We said, oh, we'll just keep the status quo. And I think the pandemic sort of allowed us to have a breath. I mean, at one point we weren't working for maybe five or six months. It was a scary time, right? Because suddenly my work as a teacher, my work as a casting director, I didn't know who I was. I, I thought, well, if I'm not doing those two things that I think I am good at and that I love doing, what am I? And it allowed us to take a breath and really think about how we wanted to move forward and if we wanted to move forward and in what way. And um, it, it just felt like a natural uh, progression for us. I mean, they had been my partners before, you know, before we even announced that, but to have that um, sort of coming out in a way was really, really great. And it also, for me, gave me a little bit of a break. I mean, I, I love being a business owner and I like being uh, sort of a leader at times, but it also felt exhausting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so to be able to share that with them uh, has been a real treat. And, and also they have just really flourished with it. It's been a really great thing for all three of us. You know, actors see themselves as, even if you're friends with someone, the word competition comes up a lot, whether in fact or not. I mean, we're constantly told it's actually not just one person can get the part. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but do casting directors compete with each other to get jobs? Not really. You know, we're, first of all, we're all, 
I mean, the, 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 the small group that we are, we're very close with each other, mm-hmm. you know, like Bernie or Tara or Dave, Kat, we, we go out to dinner. We, we talk on the phone all the time. We call each other for advice or to commiserate. So they have really, that's um, Bernie Telsey and Tara Rubin for, for kids at that, home. That's right. Thank you. Okay. And so they have really been such a great support system for me in many ways. And we really, really try to, uh, take cover each other's back um so and and most of the jobs we get are so much relationship connected you know they're from writers i've worked with for many years or the producers i've often worked with so the jobs come around in very sort of organic ways um it's very rare that suddenly you're you're vying for something and everyone's up against each other that that's sort of not how it works So what are you, like, when we, when I let you go back to your life, sadly, which makes me sad to say goodbye, um, uh, I do want to, I have one question for you. When you said you knew you wanted a life that included a house in the country, preferably along with your city, your city home, with many dogs, tell me where, because I have a dog, I love dogs, I grew up with a dog, but you really, really walk the walk in the world of loving dogs. Um, where does that come from? It, it definitely comes from my family and growing up. At one point we had five dogs, we had cats, we had fish, birds. I mean, my family is definitely uh, an animal family and I have found it has comforted me and calmed me and given me other things to focus on besides myself. I love taking care of little creatures in my house and it's given me just a really great perspective. I, they, when we had a physical office, a brick and mortar office, they came to the office, you know, they're sitting right here on the couch with me as I work. And it just allows me to breathe a little bit better Mm. because I have to stop. I have to take them outside. I go for a walk with them. It's really allowed me to shift my perspective in many ways. So it's been very, very, uh, like healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And so when you are not walking your dogs today, tell yes. me what projects you're working on. Um, we are in the middle of uh, casting uh, Queens, which is on ABC right now. And uh, we just wrapped Love Life. And that show is premiering. Uh, it's playing right now on uh, on television, as is Dickinson. So those have wrapped, which is nice because we have a little bit of a breath. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about streaming shows is there's there's 12 episodes probably tops. So it doesn't feel like you, suddenly the television is a lifestyle choice. It's just like something we do and then we can work on other things. Right. So we're working on a new thing with Paula Vogel called Bart at the Gate, which is a, a collection of play projects that she's producing. And um Erica and Paul are going into auditions for for colored girls who consider suicide, which is the revivals coming back this spring. So they're in auditions as right we now. Speak. Uh-huh. Yeah, right now. And those are in person. And so there's there's a little bit of uh, hope and optimism there that that's happening. And Are there rules for auditioning in person? Do people have to show, like, do you have to do a, a rapid test or just yeah, be vaccinated? They have to have a test. They have to have, uh, we have a COVID officer out in the hallway. So it's going to be a, a slower go at it. Right. But we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. 
you're figuring it out. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, we are it's amazing. figuring it out. We All are right. figuring it out. James, um, is there a little known fact about you? You've been so generous already, but is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Um, a little known fact. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would say that my other, my other thing that I really love that I probably wouldn't, if I was doing anything else would, um, be gardening. I, 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 I think I get it from my, both my father and my mother have green thumbs and, and I feel fortunate to carry that with me. So again, that's another sort of like side of me that helps me, um, calm, calm down and, and get a little focused when I'm doing all this crazy stuff and having two full-time jobs is then sometimes I just go around and dig in the dirt. And that really, um, has made a difference for me in my life. That's beautiful. James Clary, thank you for so many things, but specifically so for being on the you. show. It's so good to see you. And well, I you hope- tell Dominic I said hello and I of love course. him so much. And, oh my God, of course. You know, he was my reader for many years before he he really broke out. And that's how I got to know him. He's just such an amazing person. He is. And, uh, and I always say to him, I feel like it is very rare that you meet someone who has been doing it for as long as he's been doing it and approaches every job or audition with like the same passion that he started out the day after he left grad school. And he's always been that way. I know. I'm like, Oh my God, a script. Oh my God. For just tell them, you know, it's like, and he's like, Oh my God, a script. Like it's just a thrilling Uh person to be around. Um, So thank you for that. And I hope I see you soon and uh, have a great, great day. Thank you. Thanks. I love you. Don't hang up yet. Okay. things. Right. So we're working on a new thing with Paula Vogel called Bard at the Gate, which is a a collection of play projects that she's producing. And um, Erica and Paul are going into auditions for for colored girls who consider suicide, which is the revivals coming back this spring. So they're in auditions as right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, right now. And those are in person. And so there's, there's a little bit of uh, hope and optimism there that that's happening. And are there rules for auditioning in person? Do people have to show, like, do you have to do a, a rapid test or just yeah, be vaccinated? They have to have a test. They have to have, uh, we have a COVID officer out in the hallway. So it's going to be a, a slower go at it. Right. But we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. You're figuring it out. What do you yeah, mean? We are it's amazing. Figuring it out. We All are right. figuring it out. James, um, is there a little known fact about you? You've been so generous already, but is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Um, a little known fact. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would say that my other, my other thing that I really love that I probably wouldn't, if I was doing anything else would um, be gardening. I, 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 I think I get it from my, both my father and my mother have green thumbs and, and I feel fortunate to carry that with me. So again, that's another sort of like side of me that helps me, um, calm, calm down and, and get a little focused when I'm doing all this crazy stuff and having two full-time jobs is then sometimes I just go around and dig in the dirt. And that really, um, has made a difference for me in my life. That's beautiful. James Clary, thank you for so 
many things, but specifically so for being on the you. show. It's so good to see you. And Will I you hope- tell Dominic I said hello and I of love course. him so much. And, oh my God, of course. You know, he was my reader for many years before he he really broke out. And that's how I got to know him. He's just such an amazing person. He is. And, uh, and I always say to him, I feel like it is very rare that you meet someone who has been doing it for as long as he's been doing it yeah. and approaches every job or audition with like the same passion that he started out the day after he left grad school. And he's always been that way. I know. I'm like, Oh my God, a script. Oh my God. For just tell them, you know, it's like, and he's like, Oh my God, a script. Like it's just a thrilling person to be around. Um, So thank you for that. And I hope I see you soon and uh, have a great, great day. Thank you. Thanks. I love you. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out, and I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So, there you go. These are little known facts that count. You know. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.